the Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents The Roots of Reconstruction by Rusas John Rushduni Narrated by Shelby Luke Thank you for joining me this week in the reading of Roots of Reconstruction by Rusus John Rushduni. In lieu of the judgment of God across this nation, I appeal to you to listen, learn, and live as the Holy Spirit guides you in the truth of the Word of God. The words and prompting of fallible men do not hold a candle to the truth of Scripture, and the truth of Scripture will only be words to our ears unless we exhort, establish, and exercise these infallible words in every area of thought and life. The Principles and Practice of Quackery, Chalcedon Medical Report, Number 7. At the beginning of the 1950s, I had a very searching conversation with a treasured friend. Whenever I was in his area, I stayed at his home, and we talked until one or two in the morning. He was almost twice my age. He was a surgeon of national stature and taught at the medical school of a major university. I guided Dr. G.C.'s theological reading. He guided me in far broader fields. One evening, I spoke with great interest of a popular writer on medicine. Paul de Cruyff was his name, as I recall it, and of the medical miracles he was forecasting. I then commented on the apparently remarkable results a doctor a hundred miles away was getting with some of the newest wonder drugs. At first, G. smiled but finally he opened up to me as a friend in need of correction. This other doctor was moving into quackery, he said flatly, and all the new wonder drugs which promised to revolutionize life in the post-World War II era were close to being quack medicines. He asked me to recall the old-time medicine men and their quack medicines. One, had I recall, seeing had a long list of ailments which it declared it could heal. The list included tuberculosis, female complaints, rheumatism, impotence, and many, many more things. The difference between a quack doctor and a good one begins with a sense of limitation. A quack medicine and a quack doctor both promise too much. A sound medicine offers limited help for a limited and specific problem. It offers no miracles and works none. It cannot replace good hygiene, sound nutrition, and healthy habits. The wise doctor makes no large promises. He knows how limited his role is, and yet, within those limits, very important. The more we demand of a doctor or of a medicine, the more likely we are to fall prey to quackery. Dr. C. expressed both skepticism and fear concerning the new, quote, wonder drugs, unquote. At best, he held, we have only the most preliminary and cursory of reports on their results, effects, and side effects. He was fearful that too great a trust in the new medicines and too uncritical an attitude would turn medical practice into the dangerous vagaries of quackery. To expect too much of doctors and medicine was to leave oneself wide open to trouble and it was like preferring a Ponzi pyramid scheme to an old-fashioned conservative bank. 
Not too much later, another fine doctor and friend told me rather wearily one evening that he had all too many unnecessary patients. They came to him daily for, quote, wonder drugs, unquote, when a little rest and or an aspirin would do them more good. If he did not prescribe one of the newest, quote, miracle, unquote, drugs, they were annoyed, and they regarded him as a doctor who was not, quote, up, unquote, on his medical practice. I thought of these things very much of late, as I regard various accounts of the harm wrought by a variety of, quote, miracle, unquote, drugs, of the ugly consequences of the IUDs and the birth control pill, and then Christopher Norwood's article, quote, The Hormone Babies, A Condemned Generation, unquote. New York, Volume 13, Number 20, May 19, 1980, pages 49 through 55. About 10 million mothers-to-be were dosed over a period of years with human sex hormones, including DES, dithylstabestrol. The girls born of such mothers are prone to a rare genital cancer, and the boys to genital abnormalities, including microphallus, according to Norwood and others. The saddest fact of all is that this is but one, quote, miracle, unquote, drug among many. Worse yet, the doctors are the sole, quote, villains, unquote, in the story, and all doctors are equally condemned, the promiscuous, quote, wonder, unquote, drug dosers and non-dosers alike. Even worse, the appetite is far much more quackery. On a recent trip, I sat in an airport waiting room, waiting the announcement of my flight. Two women behind me were talking randomly and apparently drifted into a discussion of some loved one's illness. Then came a sentence which, of all the talk, alone interrupted my reading and caught my attention. Quote, You'd think the doctors could come up with some medicine to take care of that. Unquote. People demand quacks and quackery because of their own bad character. As a result, we have quackery all around us in the church, the school, and in politics. Quackery in the church is not limited to the cults. It is present wherever men offer something short of God's word as the bread of life. In the state schools, we have educators promising us the best kind of education as their stock in trade, while turning out 30 million functional illiterates in America. Politics, of course, is our most fertile ground for quackery, because it is for most people the central area of life. No old-time medicine man promised as much as our quack politicians. Cradle to grave security, health care for all, the abolition of unemployment, and almost anything and everything else one can think of. We live in the golden age of quackery, and instead of merely giving an Oscar to our top quacks, we have been giving them the White House with increasing frequency. Quackery is in great demand. On a plane trip recently, I glanced through a few of the available magazines after completing my planned reading. I encountered a hostile note concerning doctors and a, quote, news, unquote, report on expected breakthroughs with, quote, wonder, unquote, drugs, which would, in a few years, solve many problems and give us longer, healthier, problem-free lives. The two items go hand in hand. If you expect miracles from doctors, you will be disappointed, and you will demand quacks, not doctors. Dr. David Ehrenfeld, 
professor of biology at Rutgers University, has described much of modern humanistic and scientific thinking as not only arrogant, but as, quote, magical, unquote. Modern man is substituting the word magic for science in his thinking and identifying the two. David Ehrenfeld, The Arrogance of Humanism, New York, Oxford University Press, 1978. As a result, he approaches every discipline with unreasonable demands and a belief in the possibilities of total control by man. I recall shortly after the 1971 earthquake in Los Angeles, listening day after day to the comments of people in checkout lines and elsewhere, one comment was, quote, Why doesn't the government do something about it? Unquote. In example, why doesn't the federal government spend enough money to learn how to eliminate all earthquakes? No doubt, the same hope prevails concerning floods, tornadoes, and other natural disasters. One patient, aware that he was going to die, asked of a nurse plaintively, quote, Can't they do something about it? Unquote. Instant miracles are demanded by men when they need them. Thus we live in an age of quackery. The problem is at heart theological. The theology of all who demand humanistic miracles is that of Genesis 3-5. As sinners, they see themselves as gods, and they want life to move at their behests. The writer, Ambrose Bierce, married one of the most beautiful women in the San Francisco Bay Area. In addition, Molly Day was the daughter of one of the wealthiest men of that part of the state. Not too many years later, in 1888, he left her after discovering that she had kept some letters from a man who loved her, although she had never been involved with him or returned his affections. Life had to be on Bierce's terms, and his wife could not have even a keepsake or thought apart from him. Later, Bierce, fearful of old age, went to Mexico to join Pancho Villa's rebels and die, and he was never heard from again. Life becomes an impossible burden for those who play God. Trifles become crises, and life becomes a continual problem and an unending burden. We are all familiar with people who have everything and are miserable. We are also familiar with people who do not have everything and are also miserable. Such people want life on their terms. If things go contrary to their will, no matter how trifling, they are miserable. They resent a world they never made, and yet the only world any man can live in is God-made, not man-made. Their attitude is, I do well to be miserable, as though the world would stop in its tracks to satisfy them when the world sees that they are offended. Such egocentricity, or sin, is a fertile ground of quackery. These men demand impossible things and require that they be given them. It was one of the most successful of all con men, Weil, who said that he never conned any man who did not first of all have larceny in his heart and expected to take advantage of him. They had one thing in mind, their own expectations and satisfaction, not reality. The prevalence of quackery means a departure from reality into fantasy and magic. It means a denial of God's world in favor of the world of imagination. It is no accident that the prevalence of evolutionary thought has coincided with the return and prevalence of magic.
Both presuppose a world of chance rather than God's sovereign creation and His laws. Magic and evolution enthrone chance and deny any meaning beyond man. If Christianity is weak or wanes, magic and quackery will prevail. Eric von Kunelt Ledin in The Intelligent American's Guide to Europe, Arlington House, 1979, describes how a journalist in Iceland attacked him furiously for his religious, quote, superstitions, unquote, such as belief in Christ's resurrection, the virgin birth, and so on. Half an hour later, the same man whispered to him, pointing through the window of his library, quote, You see that man there? Beware of him. Several weeks ago, he changed himself into a bull and chased me across the fields, unquote. Page 202. Why not? If you believe in chance, you will believe that anything is possible except God, who is the antithesis of chance. The problem of quackery is thus at root a religious problem. The elimination of quackery must begin from the pulpit, and it must be carried out in every field, beginning with the church and politics. The problem, however, is more than an ecclesiastical one. The doctor himself must have a realistic perspective of his role and that of medicine. Medical practice is a calling, and it must be practiced under God. The principles and practice of quackery are magical, although they pass as science and Christian medical practice must avoid them. The Return to Magic Some years ago in the 1920s, a liberal, non-Christian writer and editor, Kenneth Burke, predicted that the modern world would see a return to a belief in magic and occultism. He did not welcome this. He was simply setting down what he believed was inevitable. His reasoning was clarity itself. Modern man has rejected God and the supernatural. In doing so, he has not rid himself of his hunger for miracles, for grace, and for superhuman power at work in society. This hunger, Burke reasoned, will create an appetite for and lead to a revival of occultism and magic. Men will seek grace and power from below. Let us extend the thinking further. Men have rejected in the 20th century God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Having denied supernatural power and authority, they seek to replace the same need by humanistic ones. The political leader in our day succeeds most who involves a father image and has, quote, charismatic, unquote, qualities. The result is a 20th century proneness to dictatorship, authoritarian politics, and the rule of men rather than laws. Men have transferred their religious devotion from God to their political leaders, and candidates for office set forth a salvationist politics. An atheistic or humanistic populace turns its political leaders into religious leaders, and it pins hopes on the political process which politics can never realize. The result is widespread disillusionment and cynicism. The failure of modern politics is inevitable. It can never deliver what the people demand of it. The more it tries to be what the people try to make it to be, the greater its failure and the resulting disillusionment and bitterness. The same false expectation, disillusionment, and hostility can be found in other areas, notably medicine. 
One doctor's wife, weary of listening to women patients talk about her husband with unrealistically high faith, said that at times she was tempted to answer, I think my husband is a very good doctor and a fine man, but I happen to know that he is not God. Exactly. No age is unbelieving. It may be ungodly, but its beliefs are no less intense. They are rather falsely directed. It is this false direction which predisposes people to quackery. They expect and demand from everyone, children, husbands, wives, doctors, politicians, clergymen, and scientists, more than they can honestly deliver. They want humanistic miracles. It should not surprise us that the press and the public speak of the post-World War II medicines as, quote, wonder, unquote, drugs. The original and basic meanings of, quote, wonder, unquote, are, one, a prodigy, and two, something supernatural. Both meanings underlie the popular usage of the word as applied to drugs, and they underscore the falsely religious expectation with which people approach medical aid. Similarly, quote, biotic man, unquote, is not only a television person, but a popular belief. Few stop to think that bionic additions are inferior. They cannot replace good health and sound health practices. Eyeglasses, after all, are a, quote, bionic, unquote, addition, and definitely inferior to good eyes. So, too, medicine is, like eyeglasses, at times a need, but it is never a, quote, wonder, unquote. Its true scope is limited, though important. The roots of quackery are in false religion and in a humanistic faith in man and man's products. Statist Medicine, Calcedon Medical Report, Number 8 An important book published recently is Alexander Podrabinik's Punitive Medicine, 1980, Coroma Publishers, Caroline House, 236 Forest Park Place, Ottawa, Illinois, 61350, 13223 The author is now serving a sentence of exile in Siberia. This is a careful and documented account of the use of psychiatry for political purposes in the USSR. Notable opponents of the communist regime are discredited by being sentenced to mental institutions, there to be drugged and tortured into submission. The psychiatrists act on orders from above. They justify this prostitution of their profession by saying that no man in his right mind would speak out, take a stand against, or contradict and challenge the state system and the official ideology. Quote, Normalcy, unquote, and mental health to them means living with the system. To question or fight the system is for them not a normal act nor a sensible one. Hence, it is a sign of mental problems. Thus, mental health is defined by conformity to the Marxist order, not by a sound mind in relationship to God, and to men in and under God. Normalcy and mental health become whatever the state decrees and does. Such a definition is very close to that of the Western democracies and their schools. Men are group-directed, subject to group dynamics, and are trained to regard the behavior of those resisting the group as, quote, deviant, unquote. One mother of an intelligent boy whose father was a noted scientist was called to the public school to discuss her, quote, deviant, unquote, son. 
His, quote, problem, unquote, which brought him under suspicion, was a preference for reading over playground horseplay. The group is the norm. Society determines standards and mental health. The Marxists have simply put this humanistic standard under more disciplined direction. Not the group, but the state, determines normalcy and mental health. As a result, we have what Podrabinik calls, quote, legalized lawlessness, unquote page 99. The newer psychiatric, quote, hospitals, unquote, are less evil, page 34. But all grow in perversity with time, and sadism becomes the order of the day among doctors and guards, pages 30 FF. No doubt, the courage of the resistors is a reproach to them and intensifies their sadism and evil. Added to this is the fact that orderlies use patients for sexual perversions, Page 31. The Soviet definition of mental health as conformity leads to strange diagnoses such as these. Quote, she is suffering from nervous exhaustion caused by justice seeking. Unquote. Quote, you have a schizo dissent. Unquote. And so on. Page 78. Quote, Soviet psychiatry does not allow any opportunity for conscientious refusal to adapt. Unquote page 77. Very aptly, Juliana Geron Pilon calls all this, quote, the shame of Soviet medicine, unquote. Reason Magazine, January 1980. The problem is not restricted to psychiatry, but is common to all medicine in Marxist countries. For example, venereal diseases are dogmatically called, quote, bourgeois, unquote. How can a bourgeois infection exist in a socialistic paradise? It not only exists, but is very widespread, although not acknowledged. No statistics are given on VD. It has supposedly been abolished. Because it has been abolished, there are no clinics to treat it. The unhappy patient must go to the, quote, dermatology, unquote, clinics for treatment. Dermatologists visiting the Soviet Union are assumed to be specialists in venereal diseases. The same is true of narcotics. The newspapers like to write about, quote, the absence of addicts in the Soviet Union, one more proof of the superiority of communism over capitalism, unquote. All the while, the use of drugs flourishes and a drug culture is very real. See Yuri Broken, Hustling on Gorky Street, page 74 and 121. The point is clear. Diseases and problems do not, quote, exist, unquote, unless the Marxist state allows them an official existence or recognition. Medical training is controlled. Doctors and psychiatrists are controlled. Hospitals are controlled. Drugs, like all medical practice, are a state monopoly. The medical profession serves the state, not the patient. Doctors are a part of a bureaucracy which has a state-controlled life and conscience. Punitive medicine? Of course. In it cannot be otherwise. As Pod Brabenick notes, quote, Punitive medicine is a tool in the struggle against dissidents who cannot be punished by legal means, unquote. Page 63. The most serious mistake we can make is to treat punitive medicine as a Soviet aberration. We should instead see it as the logical conclusion of all socialized medicine. The advocates of socialized medicine believe that such a step would bring more medical care to the poor and needy. The fact is that 
at least in the United States, the poor have usually had more medical services rendered to them than any other class. The fact of their poverty has made them the recipients of free services are subject to very nominal fees, and hence they have more readily used doctors. But the problem goes deeper. Ostensibly, socialized medicine will serve the people. Senator Edward M. Kennedy, in his book, In Critical Condition, The Crisis in America's Healthcare, 1972, sees socialized medicine as, quote, the choice of conscience, unquote. Quote, the government, unquote, will supposedly have a conscience and a concern for the poor which doctors ostensibly lack. Private practitioners, whom he sees as grasping businessmen, will somehow all become good Samaritans when the federal government controls them. His picture is a passionate, selected, and extremely partial one. It is also very unrealistic. There is no reason to believe that socialized medicine anywhere will serve the people any better or as good as private practice. On the contrary, it will serve the federal government. Let us remember, after all, that the 16th Amendment, the income tax, was voted into the U.S. Constitution in the name of helping the poor. The income tax was to be limited to, quote, soaking the rich, unquote, and distributing the wealth. It would make a freer and happier America possible. The worker would come into his own and there would be a better America for all. There is no reason to suppose that a socialized and federalized medicine will be any more benevolent than the Internal Revenue Service. The IRS, after all, was created with at least equal idealistic motives. Anyone who can think of the IRS as the people's friend today does indeed have mental problems. Socialized medicine will be no better than the IRS and potentially far worse. Any and everything which puts us into contact with a powerful state and its bureaucracy is dangerous, and socialized medicine will place us in a very close relationship to that power state. At pregnancy and childbirth, in ill health and accidents, for a variety of required medical examinations and much more. Also, as euthanasia becomes an accepted practice like abortion, the more the state knows about you, the less safe you are. Already, of course, the hand of the state is very heavy upon all doctors. Medical schools are extensively subsidized and thereby federalized. Because of funding, the medical school looks as much to Washington, D.C. as it does to the general practitioner or the surgeon and their problems. Hospitals are also serving the state and are more ready to displease doctors and patients than federal authorities. What the state controls serves state purposes. Thus, Alexander Podrabinik's punitive medicine gives us merely the avant-garde aspect of the new medical practice, socialized medicine. It is a very logical development. The state is a punitive agency or institution. Its purpose is to punish or to vindicate. Its basic and truest instruments are the courts, the police, and the military. Their purpose is to punish or to vindicate. The life of the state is geared to punitive action. St. Paul in Romans 13, 1-4, makes clear that the true function of the ministry of justice, the state, is to be a terror to evildoers. The state is the agency of coercion. 
The church's function is to educate. Industry's function is to produce. And the medical profession's function is to heal. To place the healing arm of society under the coercive or punitive arm is the height of folly and unreason. No realm taken over by the state has escaped its coercive and punitive nature to the detriment of its original function. Thus, before the states and America took over education, the United States had the world's lowest illiteracy rate and a remarkably capable populace. Today, after a century and a half of Horace Mann's evil, quote, reform, unquote, state control of education, we have our highest illiteracy rate in history. Jonathan Kozal, in Prisoners of Silence, 1980, gives us some very alarming estimates from federal and other sources. The Office of Education estimates that 57 million Americans are unequipped to carry out the most basic task. This means over 35% of the entire adult population. Some place the figure as high as 64 million. Perhaps 23 to 34 million of these are illiterate. The rest can barely function. Illegal aliens, who may number as high as 8 million, are not in these statistics at all. Kozal is a liberal, a concerned liberal. How does the teacher's bureaucracy deal with all criticisms of its incompetence, with evidences of illiteracy among teachers themselves? Typical of its reaction is an oracle on, quote, new rights attack on teachers, unquote, in the Tennessee Teacher, April 1980. Well, it is all an ugly conspiracy. Quote, Since we as teachers believe in public education and in professional dignity, then surely we see the new right as very wrong, a dangerous threat to the freedoms we inherited and continue to espouse. Unquote. A bureaucracy calls itself the vessel of freedom. This is 1984 and Newspeak indeed. It is also the voice of monopoly and unreason. Coercion remains in the public schools because they are agencies of the state, compulsory attendance laws, the persecution of Christian schools, and the like. But education is disappearing. There is no reason to believe that socialized medicine will be any better. It will rather become punitive medicine. Thus the problem is not merely a Soviet problem, it is our problem as well. The sphere of the state is the ministry of justice according to the Bible. Its activities are properly punitive, and its jurisdiction must be limited to those areas which are legitimately punitive. Healing is not one of these. When the state takes over all areas, coercion prevails in all areas. As a result, because no independent, uncoerced, and free voice exists, corruption prevails. Brocken noted that the chief stimulus to labor in the Soviet Union is the bribe. Without it, the economy would collapse. Page 97. As Brocken further observed, quote, There will never be a Watergate-style scandal in the Soviet Union. No party boss ever has been or ever will be brought to trial and jailed for bribery, corruption, or theft. If one corrupt high official were ever sent to jail, all the rest would have to go too, almost without exception. Unquote. Page 102. Where charges of corruption are made in the USSR, they are a facade for a personal vendetta or for coercing dissent. American life and medicine needs to be preserved from status controls. 
Punitive medicine is not an agency of healing, but an aspect of total terror. Those who seek it should be viewed with distrust. At the very least, they suffer from moral and intellectual myopia. Thank you for joining me this week in the reading of Roots of Reconstruction by Bruce's John Rushman. Lord willing, we will be reading again next week. Until then, may God bless your endeavors as you serve the one and only King Jesus. It was the blood of Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, the love he assures by his paying the very price. It was there at Calvary's tree, where he died for you and me. Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. 
Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.